Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's up, everyone? This is Tim Einenkel with And You Don't Stop Radio. Welcome to my segment at the library. Hip-hop started out in the park. And now... Hip-hop is big business like Con Edison or medicine. Hip-hop is so successful that when Jay-Z spits... And even if a guy's in my will somewhere, so he could just kick back and chill somewhere. Oh, yeah. None of us bat an eye. Jay knows the culture which has influenced him and countless others has turned into a business. A big business. Thus making them all entrepreneurs. I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. Let me handle my business, damn. Four elements make up hip-hop. Some debate there's more. Dan Charnas is one of those people, and he argues there's another element, the business element of hip-hop. Dan Charnas has been working in the business as a scout, a promoter, and journalist. He's the author of a new book, The Big Payback, The History of the Business of Hip-Hop. Dan joins us on any Don't Stop Radio to walk us through some of the pivotal moments in the hip-hop business and discuss what influence the business size has had on the hip-hop culture. Question, can or should you be able to capitalize off this culture? We'll find out. Dan Charnas, welcome to Andy Don't Stop Radio. So, Dan, I want you to expand on Sylvia Robertson and Sugar Hill Records. And then I want you to expand on why couldn't the success of Rapper's Delight, why, why couldn't Sylvia do more with that after the commercial success of Rapper's Delight? Well, Sylvia Robinson, um, at the time that she first heard her, at the, at the time that she heard her first rapper, which I believe was Love Bug Starsky at Harlem World in the summer of 1979. Um, she was a down-on-her-luck kind of record producer uh, and former performer. She had been a star in the 1950s as one half of the duo Mickey and Sylvia uh, with a huge hit called Love is Strange that they toured on for years. And then in the late 1960s, early 1970s, she became a record entrepreneur with her husband, Joe Robinson, and they had a record company called All Platinum Records, and they had The Moments, and they had uh, Shirley and Company, and um, and a number of other artists who uh, were were pretty successful. Um, and they were known in the R&B circuit uh, and in the R&B industry. And Sylvia herself, you know, was a, a very, uh, you know, she may have been America's first female record producer. And she... Uh, she produced one of Ike and Tina Turner's first hits. And she had this idea that she wanted to do this song for Al Green in 1972, 1973, called Pillow Talk. And um, she sent it to Al Green, and Al Green's manager wanted the publishing. She wasn't willing to give her the publishing, so she shelved her demo of the song. And about a year later, she revisited the demo, and she 
figured that it was good enough to put out on her own um, as an artist again for the first time in over 10 years. And that's what she did. And Pillow Talk actually became uh, a huge hit on Billboard. Um, I think a number one hit for her, at least on the R&B charts. And so she became a performer again. But in the mid to late 1970s, her record company imploded. Her career went you know, south. And she was really looking for... Uh, a way out and a way up, a way out of her troubles. I mean, they were, all Platinum had filed for bankruptcy, and she went to this uh, religious revival in New Jersey to get her spirits up, and she had this vision that, that you know, God and the angels were going to help her, and then that very night she goes to Harlem World and sees Love Bug Starsky and decides that she wants to make a record out of this stuff, because it's what she knows how to do. When she couldn't get uh, Love Bug Starsky interested in doing a record, she just had her son, Joey Jr., recruit some kids from New Jersey to do it. And that's exactly what they did. That became the Sugar Hill Gang, which she named after uh, a fancy neighborhood in Harlem. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, Rapper's Delight went on to become a auspiciously huge uh, hit uh, and debut for rap on the national and international scene. And so... Sugar Hill was kind of the only game in town, and, and I think in later years, why they didn't succeed, why, why, was, why did Def Jam become the ascendant hip-hop brand, and why did Sugar Hill um, go by the wayside? And I think it was very much a generational thing and a personal thing. I think that Sylvia and Joe Robinson um, were, at their core, they were hustlers, uh, and um, they they weren't very good with internal artist relations. I don't think that they paid people appropriately, if at all. Um, so they didn't have the trust of the of the artists whom they worked for. Uh, because of that, they began to lose um, in in a field that saw new independent outfits springing up every day. And by contrast, a record company like Profile, which did pay people, and Def Jam, which you know, also paid, I mean, not well, but, you know, Def Jam, you know, paid and was associated with a major label um, very shortly after its its uh, founding. And it was run by people who loved rap and didn't just want to make money off of it, but actually saw a value in artist development. The rappers like the single, as you mentioned, one of the, at the time, the number one selling single out there. Uh, why didn't the American industry just go with that? Like, why did they take this newfound popularity of this new type of music and go with it? Why was there such hesitation behind this music? Well, you got to remember, they're coming off of the disco craze. And everybody went with that, and everybody got burned. So I think that in a certain way, nobody wanted to be burned again. And at the time, there was a huge backlash against black music, too. And disco was sort of folded into that. And rap was in many ways seen as disco's uh, insipid offspring by uh, people in power, by radio programmers, uh, both white and black, by record executives, both white and black. Um, uh, it was uh, a racist reaction, to be sure, but um, it was one that was held, you know, by almost everyone in the industry. And, you know, one of the themes of the growth of the hip-hop business is that time and time again people had to be hit over the head a few times with the success and the potential profitability of this genre uh, 
before they bought into it. Why, why, why hip-hop as a business, and why not blues, or why not another black music genre as opposed to hip-hop? Like what, is, what, is it, what was it about that the hip-hop culture was, that people saw was a great marketing tool? difference between the way hip-hop exploded and the way R&B exploded is that hip-hop existed outside of the traditional industry, I think, um, much longer and much more successfully outside the mainstream before sort of being adopted. And when it was adopted, the adoption happened in a different way. It happened um, without what you might call sellout, without crossover, without watering down, um, at least, you know, to a, great, to a greater degree than ever before. I think that hip-hop was sort of more suited both because it was a proletarian uh, thing, not just in clubs but in the streets. Uh, it was democratic, you know, kind of anybody could participate. Um, just aesthetically, it also lent itself to becoming one of the world's great pop music. And I believe that one of the things I tried to do in The Big Payback is to show hip-hop is an heir to rock and roll. Um, we used to call it, you know, it, it is rock and roll, but it's more than just rock and roll. It's the heir to rock and roll. It's the successor to rock and roll. It, it should sit up on the mantle, you know, just next to rock and roll. It is itself. It is a great pop music. It is a great pop culture. Um, and history needs to record that. All right, Dan, we have to leave it there. We'll continue this next week. Thanks for joining us so far. The book is The Big Payback. Author Dan Charnas. I'm Tim Meinekel at the library. You can go to my website, don'trushthestage.com. This is Andy Don't Stop Radio. So I dig into my pocket, all my money spent. So I just deep up, still coming up with lint. So I start my mission, leave my residence, thinking how could I get some dead presidents? I need money. I used to be a stick up. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.